0: the Bale Christian Church podcast. This week, Pastor Ben Pitney continues part two, Dream On, in our series out of the book of Matthew. For this sixth message, titled The Great Paradox, turn to Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. At Bale Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Guys, right? We continue to have little roller coaster ride across the nation in all kinds of ways. I feel like um, there's going to be a week here where something doesn't like create upheaval. It's coming sometime, but I'm, I'm not sure that's ever going to happen again, right? We're on a kind of a roller coaster ride, and um, just like you know Aerosmith would say, it's we're in a dr- we're just dreaming that it's going to get back to normal. Uh, it's not going to get back to normal. We got to keep moving forward. And so um, this week, um, one of the upheavals that we learned of, right? Um, R.G.B. Ruth Gator bens right? Ginsburg. Sorry, <laughs> she uh, she passed away. And so, oh my goodness, right? She had this unbelievable career as Supreme Court Justice, and um, you know, everything's turned upside down. It doesn't matter what political side of the uh, aisle you're on, everybody's in uh, total upheaval about it. And um, I noticed something, though, uh, po- politics aside, actually, honestly, and think about this for a minute, because I, I heard this, and this is uh, kind of driving me a little bit this week uh, towards what we're um, going to discuss today. We're going to draw the truth out of the text, but this is what I heard, and uh uh, let, me, let me tell you about how I, I processed it, but uh, within the political realm, I heard um, she had said on her, her last wishes, right, was that then the next, uh, she was hoping that the next president after the election would choose her replacement, okay? So politics aside, when I heard that, I said, no, she didn't say that. Okay, now, politics aside, right, it doesn't matter, um, you know, I'm not saying that I agree or disagree or anything, but what I know is I've spent quite a bit of time with people who are dying, and nobody says anything about the election when they're dying, <laughs> the future election in particular, Right? We're talking about other things. It all kind of comes down. You're surrounding yourself with people you love, and maybe you have some regrets and things like that. So I don't buy it. But it started making me think about this. You know, what kinds of things were would you say? You know, if um, if you knew, hey, the end is really close. What what would you be communicating to people around you? Right. What kinds of things would you be communicating and? I, I, I just don't think you'd be talking about the election or anything like that. But um, that's what we're going to kind of talk about today, though, right? Uh, because this has created a lot of upheaval, and you know I think it's politically expedient. To uh, I, I think it's a great thing because it gets people to talk about it. But there's a our our world is really unsettled. Our world is in turmoil across the planet. It's global. And it happens immediately. You know anything and everything, good and bad, mostly bad, anything that's bad that is happening anywhere, in any state, in any country, anything significant, bad, instant, right? It just comes across uh, all your social media platforms and you are constantly aware of those kinds of things. Tragedies, deaths, really significant like, Bad things, and um, this is constantly coming across our social media platforms well uh, Jesus has some really strong things to say I think some uh, real f- um, he brings reality to those kinds of things and uh, I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter sixteen that's where we're going to be two places Matthew chapter sixteen and the other one is Luke chapter thirteen. I'm going to um, utilize a lot of Bible verses today, so get your pen ready and your notes, or your application ready on your phone or tablet, whatever you're using today. But Matthew uh, chapter 16, first, let's read this first, and then I want to try my very best to draw the truth out of this, out of the text. What does this have to do with me? Let's make it relevant. That's why I bring up. Um, RGB or Amy Coney Barrett and the whole upheaval there. It doesn't matter your politics. What's this got to do with me? How's the church supposed to respond to what's going on in our world? How are Christ followers supposed to respond and live in the midst of this? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, when you go into verse 24... He says some straight things to his disciples, so it makes me want to pay attention. I'm a disciple of Jesus, so here it is, straight to me and you, okay? Then Jesus says to his disciples, verse 24, if anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take take up his cross, and follow me. Verse 25, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what does it benefit a person if he gains the whole world but forfeits his life? Or what can a person give in exchange for his life? So there's a paradox there, right? The paradox is pretty huge. Finding leads to losing. Losing leads leads to dying. Dying leads to living. And this is a paradox that we misunderstand actually quite a bit, I think, until we're on our deathbed. So we're dying, so we know the end is uh, pretty certain, right? So as we meet together, here's kind of the red dot in the middle of the target for me. I'm recognizing more and more, just like you are, that what gives the events of the day, the craziness of the day, an added apocalyptic feel is how this is happening everywhere. Just like it's happening everywhere. So what does Jesus want us to learn from all these things? Who does he want us to be? What does he want us to do with all these unsettling things that emerge weekly, daily? One answer is given in Luke 13. So flip to Luke 13. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke 13. There are five verses there. Now in these five verses, just a little bit of context People asked Jesus about a horrific event of the day. Terrible event where Pilate had killed people, and then he had while they were worshiping, he killed them, and then he mixed their blood or he mingled their blood with their sacrifices. Sounds just awful. Right? So Jesus answers, when people got questions, this is what he says, starting in verse 1, Luke 13. Now, there was some present on that occasion who told him, tells Jesus, about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. He answers them, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Are those 18 who were killed when the tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Wow, this is pretty crazy. Now listen, Jesus could weep and did weep and mourn over people's heartbreaking losses. We find this all throughout the New Testament. And the Bible tells us plainly, weep with those who weep. But when all the emotions are kind of settled down just a little bit, and all the, the, the reactions have kind of settled down, Jesus says some significant things. He settles the issues not with sentimentality. He deals with ultimate reality. And that's what we want to talk about today, ultimate reality. He deals with God and sin and judgment and salvation. He gets right to it, okay? He says, in effect, he says, are you astonished at the death of the Galileans? You're, you're really astonished? Are you astonished at the death of those who were crushed, you know, when this tower fell on them? I'm going to tell you what to be astonished at. Here's what you need to be astonished at. Be astonished that the tower didn't fall on you. That's what he says. If Jesus were here today and, he can, and, and we came to him with the, all the deaths and tragedies and craziness that's going on in our world right now, and we were at we we said would you explain these things would you give an account of what is God doing here one of the things he would say is listen listen i want you to be astonished that this has not happened to you because unless you repent you are going to perish as well you're focused on the wrong thing man this means all of us deserve to die right now and to perish forever it's kind of crazy how he he Brings reality to this, you know, we're thinking a, a, a certain way. And he's like, this is what you need to be thinking about. Now, why did he do that? My first point today is, is that our lives belong to the Lord. This is why he does it. Our lives belong to the Lord. Your life is in the hands of God's sovereign grace. Your and my life is, right? God owns every soul. Everyone, everything, he made us and we belong to him by virtue of him being our creator. He can give and he can take life as he pleases, according to his wisdom that has no end to it. Infinite wisdom. He never does anybody wrong, by the way, either. He created human life and he decides what human life is actually He decides. When Job lost his 10 children, can you imagine? He loses 10 children in an unbelievable tragedy. The Bible says in Job chapter 1, in these two verses right here, it says, Then Job got up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, and then he threw himself down with his face to the ground. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return there. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. May the name of the Lord be blessed. Can you imagine saying that? Or later, Job says in Job 12.10, he says, In whose hand is the life of every creature and the breath of all the human race? This is another character in the Old Testament. Her name is Hannah. And when you find in um, 1 Samuel 2.6... Hannah thanking God for her son Samuel after years and years of not being able to bear children. This is what she says in Samuel 2.6. The Lord both kills and gives life. He brings down to the grave and raises up. It's like bringing reality to the things that are happening in life. I think that Christ followers... Need to make sure that we are not distracted, that we are not full of reaction. In the middle of all this roller coaster ride, if you're just gonna ride along with the emotions, then you're dreaming, like Aerosmith would say. You just just dream on about it. Maybe the Lord will come and take you away. <laughs> God Himself says in Deuteronomy thirty-two. 39 says, See now that I, indeed I am He, says the Lord, and there is no other God besides me. I kill and I give life. I smash and I heal, and none can resist my power. (laughs) Only God could say that. If any of us, if any of you, if I survive Sunday, right it will be a total gift of grace james the brother of jesus puts it like this james chapter 4 verses 13 through 16 listen to what he has to say he says come now you who say today or tomorrow we'll go into this or that town and spend a year there and do business and make a profit you do not know about tomorrow what is your Life light, for you're a puff of smoke that appears for a short time and then vanishes. You ought to say instead, if the Lord is willing, then we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. I mean, it's not a straight way of making, making things real. Pay attention here, as if you're in control of anything. If the Lord wills, you and I will live past Sunday if he wants, if he decides. And if he doesn't, we won't. That's reality. Our life is not our own. Our life's not our own. It belongs to God. I have no right to take your life, and you have no right to take mine. But that's not because our life is ours but because our lives belong to God and he has the right to take both of us anytime he chooses. We need to be reminded of this pretty often. I'm reminded of it this week. Your life belongs to God and he decides what life is actually for. Now, here's the deal in the middle of all of this. You can misuse then your life and the gift of life. You could squander your life. (laughs) You can blow it. And Jesus doesn't want any of this, all right? He doesn't want any of this. Luke chapter 12, verses 15, starting in verse 15, listen to what he has to say here. He says, Jesus says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He then told him a parable. Let me illustrate for you. Let me tell you a story about this. What, are you, what do you mean? It's the land of a certain rich man producing an abundant crops. So he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. I got a lot of crops. Then he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. And there I'll store up all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of goods stored up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, celebrate. But God says to him what? Underline it. You Fool, you fool! This very night, your life will be demanded back from you. Who will get what you have prepared for, for yourself? So it is the one who stores up riches for himself, but it's not rich towards God, huh? See, Jesus doesn't want any of us to be called fool. He really doesn't. That's the whole point of his story. He just want us to be called fool by God because of the way you use the gift of life. I think we need some reality in the midst of all of this emotion that's happening in our culture. And in this ride that we're on that just seems to be never ending. People are are already saying, man, 2020 is just a train wreck. I can't wait till it's over. You got to stop talking about that. Got to start thinking through actual reality. Now, I, I did a wedding this last uh, weekend. Um, I just came from Scottsdale this whole time, and the bride and the groom, and they've had such a hard time getting married. They, they, they were supposed to be married a few months ago. Guess where their wedding was? They were, they were going to fly me to northern Italy to do the wedding. Yeah. Where's the epicenter of the pandemic? pretty much in the town where they were going to get married. So, you know, that, got, that, was, that was a mess. Well, and then, you know, they come back and you could, couldn't even get married in a lot of places, right? So they're putting this off and different things. I mean, it was just one thing after the next. Last night we were talking, I didn't even know this, right? She goes to pick up her dress. This is like a bride's nightmare. She goes to pick up her dress from the alteration person, right? And they, they messed it up so bad she couldn't fit in the dress. And she's a very slender, thin person, right? Like, like a week before the wedding, the dress is destroyed. And, you know, because everybody's going, oh, your dress is so nice. She goes, oh, yeah, this is my second one. And, and so then you're, you're thinking, oh, you got your money back because they destroyed it. She's like, no, this is the second one we bought. wedding dresses are expensive. It's just one thing after the next, just everything. She's like, oh, I'm just so happy that we're having cake now, right? They're just done. They're so done, right? Yeah, Jesus doesn't want any of us to be called fool because of the way you use the gift of life Life is not for the accumulation of things and stuff. It's not actually about you. This night you're gonna be is gonna be required of you. Did you catch that? And then who's who's gonna get all your things and all your stuff? No sane person. No sane person. That's why I don't buy it about Rgb and what she said and on her last wishes. No sane person on his deathbed was ever comforted by his possessions. And I've been with people when they die. I know what we talk about. Listen to the words now of Jesus. Let's go back, Matthew 16. Let's listen to these words again. Matthew 16, verses 24. This is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who we swear allegiance to. This is what he says to his disciples. If anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what does it benefit a person if he gains the whole world that forfeits his life? Or what can a person give in exchange for his life? See, it's possible to misuse your life. It's possible to squander it all, to blow it, to do things that don't even matter. There's not many things that make me tremble, that make me shudder, that make me nervous more than the possibility of taking this one-time gift of life and squandering it. I will turn 59 in November. I'm getting kind of dusty. And I got to tell you, Lynn and I have talked a lot this year, my wife, and um, I I, I've said to her, people ask you, you know, you start getting around 50 now, you start thinking about retirement. What are you going to do in the future? I've made up my mind, I'm not retiring. I'm not doing it, not with what I do. I may have to slow down a little bit. I don't have to have this role all the, in my, the rest of my entire life. There's plenty to do, but I'm not going to retire. And the reason is because, in, in particular, this, la, this next 10 years of my life, um, you're going to see I'm, I'm, I'm going to buckle down harder than I ever have in terms of investing my life for the kingdom. Linda and I are pretty free, so free that just recently we decided we're going to sell our house. We're going to sell our house because we're going to pocket the money, not because we're greedy, because of the freedom it's going to bring us to be able to do anything and everything we want to do that we, built, we feel like God has called us to do. For the kingdom. We're gonna get loose of that big old giant house that we got and this incredibly huge swimming pool that the two of us float around in and we go, How much do we spend on chlorine and all keeping this? I would love to fill that in with dirt. I would love I would give it to anybody if I could just give it to somebody. We would love I mean, listen, when we, we were in San Jose, California for sixteen years. And it was one of the most expensive areas you can live in the country, just crazy. And we were there 12 years before we could actually purchase a house. The house that we purchased in California was 960 square feet. It's the size of an apartment, but it was a house. The house that we bought had never been lived in by the owner. It was built in 1955, and then it was rented out to somebody for that whole time. So when we bought it, you you when you show up to look at it, you're like, whoa. It's one of those like the worst house in the neighborhood kind of thing. But that's what we could afford. We bought it and then we fixed it up and we lived in it, all right, for several years before God called us to Tucson and planting a church and that whole thing. But when we sold it, it was during that sort of escalating time of um, you know. It's an extreme seller's market. So we put it on the market, and we sold it in 45 minutes, and almost all the offers, like 20 offers, almost all the offers, people offered us more money than we actually put it on the market for. And we're like, what? So then we took the strongest offer, and then we moved to Tucson, and we thought we were rich people, right? And... um. Because we'd been, we had one car. First thing we do is go out and buy a second car because we only had one car. We we didn't have a TV. We didn't have hardly anything. We were we were kind of struggling, but we moved to Tucson and then we built this house, right? We we built a house. We're like we could build a house. What? We built a house and and um, you know those California people, kind of messing up Arizona. Anybody from California? Well, that was us. We're like creating them creating this craziness so we came in we build this and um right and we've been sitting in this for a long time and and we've been waiting to move to vale and you know we just talked this year it's time it's time i mean look we got freedom but look at the freedom that we're gonna have right now so we we rented a were, we're gonna live in the apartments across the street (laughs) I <laughs> know, uh, we're going to live right, so just stay away. You don't, can't come just knocking on my door every five minutes I live right there. Now, you can come in. It's gated over there, too. Um, I'm going to just walk to work, right? I'm just going to leave my truck over here and just park here. And um, so we're going to leave, this, sit there for a while. I mean, well, we're going to buy a house, but we're going to be free. We're going to be free because I'll, I'll tell you what, if I'm going to do anything, I am not going to blow up. This last, If I get 20 more years, man, I'm going to stand on it as hard as I can about doing what God asks us to do. Because I'm telling you, it's possible to misuse your life. One of the great tragedies of America, I think one of the greatest tragedies, and I'm going to get a little preachy and a little touchy right now but in american culture is the way billions of dollars are invested to persuade people my age and a little older to blow the rest of their lives and it goes by this by the name of retirement and the entire message is you've worked for it now just enjoy it just sit back and enjoy it and what is 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 the it what's the it 20 years of play and leisure while the world sinks under the weight of the millions of healthy older people fishing and cruising and putting around and playing golf and bingo and shovel board and collecting shells from the beaches that you visit. All of this in preparation for meeting Jesus face to face. And I'm not going to do it. You can't take your little shell collection from the places that you visit and say, "Here's this is what I've been doing. And that is exactly the way tons of people blow their life and don't make radical decisions now. And being a Christ follower is radical. It's radical. My prayer is that you might all come to the age of 65 and with fire in your stomach and in your bones and say, all right, with my simple pension and my remaining energy and my new freedom, I'm gonna pour out my life for Jesus and his kingdom. And so I don't know what you're all working for if you're under the age of 65 and young people. But when I meet him, I want you to say on that day, I want you to smile as Jesus smiles back and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Instead of those awful words like the guy with the barns, you remember what it is? Fool. I'm not doing it at this big fat house I'm dumping it I'm not going to give it away for free I tell you that <laughs> but I'm going to use it I'm going to use it oh my gosh This is the most freeing thing has ever happened right we've given away about half of everything we have <laughs> we've just given it away hey you need a bedroom set <laughs> Put a little text message to my staff. How many think you've responded? Yeah, <laughs> we'll take that. We got all these kids and stuff. I'm like, all right, you got to come get it, but it's yours, right? We give away a refrigerator, we've given away stoves, and phew, so awesome. So what should a life look like? A well-lived life. And if you ask me, what should it look like? What is the essence of a well-lived life? It is a life that showcases the unrivaled value of Jesus for the world to see. Showcasing, I talk about this a lot, the passion of real life is to courageously showcase the unrivaled unrivaled and the unmatched excellence of Jesus by the way we live. Life is given to us so that we can use it to make the most of who Jesus is. Possessions are given to us so that by the way we use them, we can show that they're not our treasure, but Christ is our treasure. Money is given to us so that we can use it in a way that shows money's not your treasure, but Jesus is what you're really all about. Our life is meant to magnify. Our life is meant to honor, showcase, display, however you want to describe it. And here's the text that maybe more than any other governs what life to me is really all about. It's Philippians 1.20. You've seen these verses. You know these verses. Paul says, my confident hope is, is, is that I will in no way be ashamed. But with a complete boldness, even now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body whether I live or die. For me, living is Christ and dying is gain. So Paul, he's consumed with this, isn't he? He's consumed with his passion that in his life and that in his death, Christ would be honored. That is, that Jesus would be made to look like the infinite, magnificent treasure that he is. And the reason you have life is to make Jesus look awesome, to make Jesus look great. And so there's one central criteria that should govern all the decisions that you make in life and in death, all of them. Will this help make Jesus look good? Like the treasury is. Like the treasury is. Philippians 3 7, you just flip over a couple more chapters. Look at what he says. These are really great words, too. These are really strong words, actually. He says, But these assets I've come to regard as liabilities because of Christ. All this stuff I got. More than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as... And if you don't think that he said it like your grandpa would say it, he does. Tongue? That I may uh, gain Christ? Yeah. Yeah. I think the NIV, NIV says rubbish. No, it's stronger than that. In other words, Paul wants to live in a way that proves the worth of Jesus Christ by counting everything as a loss for Christ's sake. Everything. I now regard all things as liabilities as compared to the far greater value of knowing Jesus, knowing Christ, right? It means that life, that the life that showcases the unrivaled worth of Jesus is the life that uses everything to show that Jesus is valuable. He's my everything. Money's used to show that Christ is more valuable than money. Food, even food, is used to show that Christ is more valuable than food. Houses, land, cars, computers, they're all used to show that Jesus is more valuable than they are. Family, really? Yes, family, friends and your own life are a place and designed by God to show that Christ is more valuable than any of those things. So the way that we showcase the unrivaled worth of Jesus in our lives by treasuring Christ above all things and then make life choices that show that our satisfaction is not finally in the things or even other people, but in Christ is what? You find it in the second half of Philippians 1.20, the same's true, right? He says, namely, honoring Christ by the way he dies. We die. My confident hope is Christ will be exalted by my body whether I live or die. How is Christ honored? How do we showcase his worth? By our death, in our death, with our death. He gives the answer in the next verse for me. Living is Christ. Dying, that's gain. It's better. Why? Because I get to the display, I get to showcase the supreme, unrivaled, unmatched worth of Jesus in our lives by tre- in, in my life by treasuring Jesus above everything. Why is death gain? It's gain because of verse 23, right? To depart and be with Jesus, which is better by far. Death is gain. Death means more of Jesus. So how do you show that Christ is a treasure in death? How do you do it? By experiencing death as gain. Christ will be most magnified in you, in your dying. I get to spend a lot of time with people when they're dying. It's just part of what I do. Have you heard me say this before? I ask people sometimes, if I can have their Bible after they've died. I love to look through a Bible of somebody after they've died. It tells you a lot. Now, I don't know. The older I get, the more I'm gonna go, well, maybe I can I have their phone or their tap. You know, I don't know. People don't people don't people don't use the paper part very much. I think you should. But then I get to look through all the notes and the things and the underline and the whatever, right? So this is a new Bible. I just Started This is my first Sunday with this new Bible, because my other one, it's, it's broken and started falling apart on the binder, and there was this place I wanted to use, and my thumb had been on this place so much, because I was teaching like this, that it tore a hole in the passage that I wanted to read. And um, it didn't really matter, because I, I didn't really need it. it's so familiar, right? But it was time to get a new one out. And I keep them all. Put them on the shelf, and they're all like, they're looking through it. I think it's the way, I know I'm a pastor, but I think it's the way it should be with everybody. You should be wearing them out. When's the last time you wore out a Bible? Life and death are given to us as a way of displaying the unrivaled and unmatched value of Jesus. The unrivaled, unrivaled value of Christ is showcased when you treasure him above all the earthly stuff and all earthly persons. This treasuring of Jesus above all earthly things and persons is most clearly seen in what you are gladly willing to risk, to sacrifice in order to enjoy more of him and be all about Jesus. And here's the radical way Paul put it in 2nd Corinthians chapter 12. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 because he gives us two verse. And, and, and he's declaring here, Christ refused to remove Paul's painful thorn in his flesh. He refuses to do this. What does Paul say? What is he how does he react? He says in verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 12, he says, he says, My grace is enough for you, man. You don't need me to remove this, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That's where I'm featured in your weakness. So then I'll boast most gladly about my weakness so that the power of Christ may reside in me, may live in me, rest in me. Therefore, so I'm content with the weakness, with the insults, with the troubles, with the persecutions, the difficulties for the sake of Christ. For whoever I am, whenever I am weak, then I'm strong. Have you ever thought about that with your weaknesses? That's where Jesus gets to shine. You gotta depend on him. Paul's basically saying, Jesus would not take this away. He's like, I like it there. It makes you better. I'm able to shine because of that. Think I'm taking that away? Have you ever thought about that? Magnify the unbelievable power of Jesus or magnifying the unbelievable power of Jesus in our own weaknesses and pain. That's Paul's Passion, that's it. I'll rejoice in whatever uh, makes Christ look magnificent, including all my pain. Throw me in jail, I'm great with that. I'll just preach Jesus to the jailer people and all the prisoners. Chain me up to one, that's great, can't get away. (laughs) Gotta listen to me. I can write letters. What does this got to do with me? Here we go. Oh, here it comes. Your life belongs to God, and he decides what life is for. That's reality. Everything's going up and down and up and down, emotional, whatever. You got to let go of that junk. It's crazy. I, it's just going to get crazier. Are you kidding? We got about 40 days of intensity, and then you think, oh, all of a sudden, it's going to get better? Please, right? It's just going to It's going to be more crazy. I don't care who gets elected. It's going nuts. Your life belongs to God, and he decides what life is for. Remember that. Remember that. That's who the church is called to be. Our life belongs to him. Number two, are you going to throw your life away? I know I was meddling there with those of you that are retired. It was intentional. Stop saying, I'm not teaching Sunday school. It's somebody else's turn. No. That's where we need the wisdom. All those little boogers over there. And they need people teaching Bible stories that are a little bit older, right? Come on, you're likely to catch something. Just roll it. God's going to decide when you're going to die. Look, I'm not saying just be ridiculous around here. You know, we just everybody take their mask off and what. And I'm not. Come on, balance. I'm asking all of you now, are you going to throw your life away in the rest of the world by striving for, to minimize your suffering and maximizing your comforts in this life? Come on, are you going to work for the things that just go away and perish? Are you going to build bigger barns and lay up treasures on earth and strive for the praise of men so that God can just turn around and go, man, you had this great gift, you fool. Or will you see Christ crucified and risen? Will you see in this God, man, the all-satisfying treasure of your life? Will you say with Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain? Now, I regard all things as liabilities compared to the far value, the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I believe with all my heart that when God raises up churches of Christ followers, To live like this and pray. I'm praying that Vail Christian Church is that kind of church. I believe that when you make the sacrifices and take the risk, that's when the Great Commission is going to come to pass. It's going to take a generation of people that roll up their sleeves. Because it's not going to come to pass unless churches and Christ followers and young people are willing to lay down their lives. The remaining unreached people on our planet they all live in dangerous places. So if you're a young person, you need to get going. And, and the high school campus, in my opinion, still, is the greatest mission field on the planet. If our generation buys into the American mindset of preserving comfort and safety and security and ease, you're going to be passed over, and God's going to get his work done whether you want to join or not. And I want to join or not. And over our generation though, it's gonna be written, you guys are fools. I'm not living like that. So here's the third one. What's it got to do with me? Are you willing to lay down your life? Just put it right in the line. That's really what Jesus is saying, right? You notice how he brought it to reality. Talking about all the tragedy, all the death, all the whatever, and the towers falling on people and the you know, that, that awful thing that Pilate did. Oh, are you willing to lay down your life for Jesus? Number four is your passion to showcase the unrivaled value of Jesus and treasure him above everything. And there it is. Take the risk. Take the sacrifice for his sake. And do not doubt that God will use you and your mighty commitments. He will use you to reach the hard places in our culture. Man, seems hopeless in some ways, right? At this wedding, I talked to more people about Jesus than ever. I'm like, you're going to ask me to do this wedding? You just get ready. Because when I start doing it, I'm just going to talk about Jesus. You know, you think that'd be an easy place to offend people? No. Everybody comes up. I don't know, Pastor Ben, you just seem kind of free. I'm like, yeah, I'm feeling more free than ever. Tell me more. Tell me more. Because over my life, I want the words to be written. This life gladly showcased the unrivaled value of Jesus in both life and death. That's it. That's it for me. Is that it for you? Bow your head with me. Thank you, God. Man, we need a dose of reality right now in the world that we live in. It's going crazy. It's going to continue to go crazy. Help us to bring reality with our lives to the world around us. We're going to walk across that bridge. We're going to go on with our life on Monday. Help us to really live it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. Join us again next week as we continue in the book of Matthew. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the videocast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.